A group of students in Massachusetts thought they could change how public schools work, or at least what public schools value. And at first, they failed. These kids thought that if they could get a law passed to introduce new learning standards that would make two subjects, environmental science and civics, cornerstones of what everybody learns about, then they could change schools in Massachusetts, and then around the country, and maybe even change the world. But it started as just a few kids coming together and taking a shot. One thing that, that I would say, which is like, why education? Um, why are we advocating for climate education? Why does that feel so important? That's Sarah Karp. She's a sophomore at a regional high school about 20 miles outside of Boston. Sarah is 15 and one of three fellows in Massachusetts at Our Climate. Our Climate is the student-led nonprofit group at the middle of writing and lobbying for this new law. I was talking to Sarah after I had already talked to state legislators, nonprofit leaders, teachers, and a whole host of adults that I guess you'd normally expect for a story about school policy. Finally, I talked to Sarah and I realized that the students who were writing this bill knew way more and were way more passionate and spoke more clearly than any of the adults I interviewed. So I got permission from two of them, Sarah and Jonathan Lan, another student writing this bill, to turn our recorded interviews into this podcast. Here's Sarah finishing that thought about why she's fighting climate change by writing an education bill. Um, I guess what I would say to that is like every day I sit in a classroom um, and I learn about many things and never is one of those things actually let's talk about solving the greatest problem that your generation will face to to do that and to learn those skills like I'm you know I mean I'm a fellow for our climate and that's how I'm doing that um, but that's like not something that everyone is going to have access to that goes to school um, that every student in America is you know going to like seek out and so I just think that we are kind of doing an injustice to students across Massachusetts and across the country by not equipping them with skills and knowledge to actually like understand how to solve big problems or at least how people are trying to solve big problems. My interview with Sarah was in the middle of the school day, a video call during one of her free periods. She sat in an empty band, or maybe chorus room, and she was wearing a mask. We didn't know at the time that I'd share the recording with anyone else. The background of our video call was a reminder that, at 15, Sarah had classes, homework, friends, and all the normal demands of teenagehood. It was in her free time that she was writing and revising legislation to submit to state senators and state congresspeople. She described it as her job. And I know a lot of high schoolers work but I don't know how many are calling lawmakers and union officials to broker support for the legislation they wrote. Yeah, so we are we have met with a lot of teachers unions and like making sure that we have their approval. We've uh, gone This through... is Jonathan, 16 years old, a field representative at Our Climate and a junior at a different high school that's also in a suburb of Boston. We've uh, gone through plenty of rounds of editing just to make sure that our bill is not 
does not look like to the legislators at least that we're we're brainwashing a bunch of youth because of course that's that's not what we want to do but i think that's probably what the legislators were thinking because we saw many of the sections of the bill that were cut out i mentioned that in their first attempt these students failed last year there's a different version of this bill and in trying to get it passed the students learned more about civics and government than most people will ever know Okay, well, I mean, I've learned that Massachusetts in particular is very or not very transparent with their government. Um, there's been a little bit of frustration with um, just like the voting procedure. Like Massachusetts is one of the only states where the votes aren't public. That means no one knows which legislators supported or opposed the bill in subcommittee or any bill for that matter. And that makes it hard for the public to understand what's going on with their representatives and their laws. It's just a very like ugly process, I guess. And it's um it's sort of like against like the very idea of democracy. So we'd we'd actually passed a version of the Ed Bill last year, um, the one that I'd lobbied for, and that passed the original committee into ways and means. And what we didn't know until much, much later, like a lot of the bill had been just cut out. It was um, like the main focus of the bill was just gutted. And so that's um, that's why we're we're revamping it and making sure this year that it that it does pass without major pieces of major clauses just removed. To summarize, their bill first went to the education subcommittees of the legislature. When it left, the authors were never notified nor did they know that it wasn't recognizable as their bill anymore. But that didn't matter, because it was voted down and died in a different subcommittee. It never made it to a chamber-wide vote. So we took the bill draft from last session and kind of spent a lot of time with it, analyzing it. So the Education Committee last session passed the bill, um, but cut out probably three-fourths of it. So the bill is like, interdisciplinary standards. So it's covering both science and like civics and history, actually teaching students how to, you know, talk to their legislators, like make changes in their own communities based on what they're learning. And, and so all of that got cut. The only thing that made it out of the education committee was this, you know, sort of couple of paragraphs on science standards. Um, saying you should acknowledge that climate change exists. And then that died in ways and means. Um, so like nothing was ever passed and the majority of it never even made it out of the education committee. This is where I most appreciated talking with students like Sarah and Jonathan. They gave it to me straight. Both Sarah and Jonathan talked about why they thought the bill didn't pass. That climate change in and of itself seemed too politically charged for the legislators to put into schools. Despite what was actually in the bill, it seemed like they thought passing a law like this could seem too radical. Um, it's not partisan, it's not. So we kind of tweaked language. Um, we changed some of the structure of the bill to make it clear that like, you know, teach about the problem in science, teach students about the solutions and equip them to solve the problem in history. Um, and so kind of the structure follows that now. 
Um, and then we sent it off to like a whole slew of kind of, you know, adult partners, especially we're trying to build, uh, or we are building relationships with teachers unions um, because that's a really important aspect of this bill is like, teachers have to be on board. We don't want another unfunded mandate that teachers have to contend with that, you know, they don't want. Teach relevant science and science class. Teach civic engagement in history or social studies. Make sure teachers have the resources they need. It sounds simple this way. And the teachers union seems to be on board. Still, I've never written legislation before with a group of my friends. I asked Sarah what that was like. Yeah, um, I definitely would describe it as slow and steady. Um, if you go into like the document where all of our work is happening, you will find like five drafts of the bill. During this first brush with the legislature, a number of student-led groups were involved in the writing and drafting, including MCEO, the Massachusetts Climate Education Organization, and MYCC, or Mike, the Massachusetts Youth Climate Coalition. There's this whole network of students. And one day, all of them went down to the state house with signs and loudspeakers. Jonathan gave a speech. It's a gorgeous, sunny day in the video. You can hear the crowd cheering, and also the person who's filming Jonathan giving approving mm-hmm's. Mm-hmm. From one generation to the next. Jonathan found himself speaking to not only the group of students he demonstrated with, but also to the many passerby who stopped to hear what he had to say. Such a slow moving problem that it's easy to sweep to the back of our minds, myself included. We get caught up in our own lives so much that it's difficult to think of disasters. The, the idea of young people writing policy, helping to be a part of the like revision process for policy and then going and lobbying for that policy at the state house is like not something that historically or i think in the heads of most adults is something that feels imaginable and so i think there's a little bit of like this surprise element of like oh my gosh they got 300 young people to meet with their legislators in the state house um it's it feels effective because I think in some ways it's surprising. In his speech, Jonathan talked about one legislator he had specifically lobbied. Last January, a few others and I had rep had met with Rep Pleasure staffers. By the way, is the representative, my representative and the chairwoman, chairwoman of the education Representative Alice Peisch. It's his own representative. And she sits on the education committee. She is the chair of it. I asked Jonathan what it was like to meet with her. And you can hear that Jonathan is on a first name basis. But he remembers he should use her honorific when talking with the press. When I met with uh, Alice Peich and her staffers last year, our representative Peich, um, she uh, basically her her she told us to just like lobby schools individually um, and then like try to make change that way because government changing government is like very slow and very difficult. And of course we acknowledge this and like, we know this is going to be like close to like a 10 year project, but um, it's, it's definitely going to be a long um, fight, but it's um, it's something that will have widespread effects just like 
across Massachusetts. Yeah. Jonathan said a 10-year project. But they're pursuing this strategy anyway, because unlike going school to school, as the representative suggested, these young people want to ensure that every student has access to the same curriculum and resources. Sarah explains a little bit more about how long it could take to pass this legislation. In Massachusetts, it takes an average of five legislative cycles, um, which is 10 years to pass, like of resubmitting iterations of the same bill for it to pass. And so it just, you know, and, and I think a lot of that is, as I'm learning in my U.S. history class, is, you know, a purposeful design of trying to slow down um, the system. You know, I think you can argue that that's not effective with urgent problems because, you know, like, can we wait 10 years to pass climate legislation? Probably not. We probably should not be doing that. One thing that has been like hard for me to come to terms with is you can put in a lot of effort and a lot of energy and a lot of time and, and like really good strategy and still have legislation fail. Um, because hundreds of bills are submitted every year and most of them die in committee every session. Um, you know, and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't all come together and organize um, because like sometimes it does work and when it does work, it's amazing. Um, and also like we are in it for the long haul, <laughs> so. The long haul. These students will be more affected by climate change than the legislators they're lobbying. And unless things start changing, the students who follow them will be even more affected. They're taking a long-term approach that the adults seem to be missing. Zooming out like this and thinking about the big picture made me think of a question. I sometimes don't like when other people ask this question, but I'm asking it because I feel like it's uh, useful to just understand what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. um, overall, with all that you've explained to me, how long it takes to get bills passed, the urgency of the issue, are you still like hopeful? Um, and that you could talk about that in a specific sense of like hopeful for this bill or in a general sense about like solving these big problems. Are you as a young person hopeful? Um, I think like I struggle with this question a lot. Um... It's true what I said. I kind of hate this question, but it's the elephant in the room. Whenever I talk about climate change with friends or family, someone always says, it's just so depressing. I can't think about that. But it's worse for young people. In 2021, the University of Bath in England sent a survey to 10,000 young people from 10 different countries, include the US and the UK, and also the Philippines and India. Here's a quote from the section titled, findings. Respondents across all countries were worried about climate change. 59% were very or extremely worried, and 84% were at least moderately worried. More than 50% reported each of the following emotions, sad, anxious, angry, powerless, helpless, and guilty. More than 45% of respondents said their feelings about climate change negatively affected their daily life and functioning. And many reported a high number of negative thoughts about climate change. That's really dramatic. 
and it's affecting the large majority of kids around the world, even in their daily private lives. Later on, the findings say that young people associated, quote, a perceived inadequate government response with feelings of betrayal. Betrayal. But Sarah and Jonathan are doing something anyway. And even though many of us use hope, or the lack of it, as our excuse to not think about climate change, I did want to know how these students in the middle of the fight deal with the anxiety. Are they still hopeful? um, A lot of the times, like, I feel hopeful because I have some sort of, like, control or, like, not control, but just, like, power to, to do something in any situation. Once I lose that power, it, like, the the dread kind of hits me. So I think, um, I mean, that's absolutely one of the big reasons why why this bill is so important. Um, of course, I'm sure you've heard about a lot of, like, the uh, – the like the climate anxiety that the teenagers having or just like people in general are having and i think um one reason for that is because they they don't they feel like they can't do anything about this this ongoing problem that's that's going to affect everyone and have catastrophic effects so um i'm hopeful i guess because i i have a role to play in in fighting climate change um even if it's just like meeting with legislators and doing all the small things but just the fact that I'm able to do something and I, I see that that change is possible, I think in general, I do, I do have some hope about the fight against climate change. Sarah, on the other hand, was skeptical of my question. I don't know. I think, like, what does that even mean? Um, we have to define, I think, in a better sense than we have already, what, what hope means and what hope looks like. Um, I don't on the day to day, like feel, you know, I don't wake up every day and say, you know, we're going to do it. We're going to beat climate change. And like, people aren't going to suffer because of our actions. It's like, that isn't true. Um, A lot of people are going to suffer. A lot of the laws that we're trying to pass are going to fail. And yet I still wake up every day and I come into work and I do this work. Um, for hours every week, and I'm still trying. And so, you know, I think to a lot of people, like, and I mean, to myself, like, that's a conundrum of like, how can I feel hopeless, and then also, like, still be doing this. And it's, I mean, it's what I want to do for my career. It's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, And so I think in some ways, like, there is, there's a lot of hope in the hopelessness, but the still putting in effort Um, in the like, you don't have to feel hopeful to be a part of the movement and to build something and to advocate. And you can still show up every day and know in the back of your head that we might fail. Yeah, I, you know, don't know how to wrap up except saying thank you. So uh, I hope you have a good rest of your (laughs) stay. That's what classes right. are you going to after this? Um, I have to go to history. That's it. Cool. Though. Cool. All right. Well, anyway. have a good rest of your day. And thanks so much. Thank for talk- you so much. In her inauguration address, new Massachusetts governor, Maura Healy, said that she believes her state can and will lead the world on climate issues. In the same election that she won, 
a ballot initiative, often called the millionaire's tax, will earmark new revenue to use specifically for education. And Healy is inheriting a statewide budget surplus. That's the political climate in which the bill from these students was submitted earlier this month, among the thousands of others received for the start of a new legislative session. Sarah and Jonathan are prepared for it to fail, and they know that regardless of the outcome, their work will continue well past the time when we can call them youth organizers. It's the fight of their lives, but the conditions for it to pass seem pretty good. That is, if we can take a bunch of kids seriously. This podcast was reported and edited by me, Colin Hogan, a journalist at the New Bedford Light. The New Bedford Light is a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom, and if you want to support our work or check out the amazing work my colleagues are doing, please visit newbedfordlight.org and consider donating.